Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by exalting the glory of God, sharing and showing the love of Christ, and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now here's this week's message. A few years back, actually not a few years, many years back, um, uh, when my sister passed away, I don't know how many of you have siblings, um, uh, she and I were a year and a half apart, and um, my brother was four years older, so she and I were a little bit closer. By the time I hit teenage, he was, you know, had moved out, joined the military, all kind of stuff, so she and I kind of, you know, spent more time together. Um, one of those brother-sister love-hate things, hated each other, narked on each other, loved each other, defended each other, stood up for each other, all that kind of good stuff. So when, when she passed away, it was... Uh, a little weird for me because she was the first close family member uh, that that kind of passed away in my life. So uh, it was weird because it hit me really hard, but not long. So within, I want to say within a week and a half, two weeks, I was I was back to normal, still missing her, whatever, but just not feeling that heavy weight and pain of, of losing a family member. Uh, and just a few years ago, uh, when my brother passed away, uh, he and I were not as close. I mean, we still talked. He, you know, spent most of his life separated either in the military or on the other side of the country. And, and so we didn't see each other that often, uh, especially because there wasn't a lot of Facebook and FaceTime and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but we did connect and talk and saw each other every now and then every couple of years for a family get together or oddly enough, a funeral or whatever. But when he passed, uh, just I think it was two years ago, um, I didn't think it was going to hit me as hard, and it didn't, but I grieved for longer. Instead of, like, two weeks getting over it, uh, I mean, it hit me for, like, a week or so, but then it was even a month or two months later, just still this heaviness of, of missing him and losing him. And I don't know if it was because with him I felt like, hey, there's still, you know, I didn't get to spend as much time with him, so it felt longer. Uh, with my sister, it was shorter although it hit harder because I did, I have no idea why, uh, but that whole concept of, of loss and grieving is, is an important part of humanity. It's what makes us who we are. It actually, it's what ties all of humanity together because it doesn't matter if you're a, you know, Republican or a Democrat, doesn't matter what country you come from, doesn't matter what your religious beliefs are, every single person on the planet experiences some type of loss whether it be a brother passing away, uh, whether it be a sister, whether it be a mother, a father, a child, uh, whether it be someone who goes off to the military and, 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 you know, they give their life heroically in defense of our country, or whether it be someone who dies tragically in a car accident, whatever, we all experience loss. It ties all of us together. So um, what I wanted to do was take a pause in our series talking about, you know, how we uh, can use our gifts and our talents and all of that stuff to, to, to serve God and fulfill our mission. Uh, but I wanted to just spend some time talking about how we can be better us's, if that makes sense. How we can get through this process of grieving. Because even if we're not now, whether it be decades ago, years ago, or months ago, or whether it be someone who, you know, uh, in, in months from now or decades from now or whatever, uh, we're all, you know, unless... Christ comes back, going to experience loss because the death rate's still running right about 100%. There's nothing stopping it unless Christ comes back. So uh, this, is, this is a time where 
you know, I figured, hey, let's, let's take a moment, let's pause on, on what we were talking about, and let's talk about grieving and this grieving process. And here's the thing that we want to do. We want to talk about throughout this series, first, the impact of loss on humanity, on us as human beings, how we deal with it. Uh, specifically, we also wanted to spend some time and talk about the impact of dealing with grief. Because uh, this is something that the church doesn't talk about a lot. Although the founding, the foundational, one of the founding principles of the church is the fact that Christ died. Uh, so it should be something that we should talk about and help one another through. Uh, the Bible talks about it a lot. And we want to talk about the impact of loss on eternity. Uh, because there is a significant impact from an eternal perspective on like dealing with how we deal with um, uh, missing people. But here's the thing. If we're, if we're going to talk about the impact of loss on humanity, there's, there's a couple of foundational things that we want to talk about first. And I need you guys to give me, you know, that umbrella of grace because, and just, just listen to the whole thing, listen to everything that we talk about, and, and it'll make sense. And I don't want to sound like I'm trying to offend anyone. Uh, I don't want to sound like I'm not um, understanding or respectful of, of people who have lost people. We've all, you know, lost someone. Um, so I, I, I want to put that out there that, yes, I am respectful of that. I do understand that. Every single person on the planet, we all deal with loss. But I also want to come at it from a biblical perspective, um, not just on death, what death means, but also grieving and supporting and being there for one another. Uh, but in order to do that, we've got to set a foundational understanding of some of the phrases that we're going to continue to use. And obviously, uh, when we talk about loss, we're talking about death. Uh, but we need to understand that death isn't natural. And I don't mean someone who dies of natural causes. I mean that when God created us, it wasn't with the intention of, I'm creating you to die. Uh, it wasn't his intent that we would be separated from him and our lives would end. Uh, he created us to be with him for eternity. Uh, and death also is a consequence of sin. And that's one of the reasons why God didn't create us with the intent to die. Because when God created us, there was no death. Death only exists because sin exists. Now, here's the other thing. Death is not the end. And this is the part that's going to it's gonna hurt some people. It might offend some people. So give me that umbrella of grace to, to, to be able to know that I am not. I, I just, I'm, just, I'm trying to be respectful, but I'm also trying to reveal God's word. Okay? So here, here's the thing. All right? So death isn't natural. Uh, in Genesis chapter 2, this is what we read. This is what God says. The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So when God created man, he created man, he, you know, many of you guys know this, created man out of the dirt, which is why in our bodies the exact same chemicals that exist in the ground, and one of the reasons we know that God did it is because some of the chemicals that are in us only exist combined with other elements. So the only way that they could get into us is if they were extracted from other elements, which is what God did when he created us, all right? And he gave us the breath of life, meaning the Holy Spirit, the very spirit of God, he put into man, and we became a living being, living different from like plants are alive, but they don't have the consciousness that humans do, that humanity does. They don't have that level to make decisions, to think, to understand, to comprehend. From a scientific aspect, that phrase living being literally means the, the activity or energy that is in us. Now, from a scientific perspective, when s science 
not, not the Bible, but science says energy can't be destroyed. It can only be transferred. So when we die, that energy, our being, our soul, whatever you want to call it, doesn't cease to exist. It gets transferred somewhere. Death is not an end. It's a separation or a transition, a transitional process. And it's painful from the human perspective because from our perspective, it's just all about loss. Now, God then goes on and he says in uh, verse 15, the Lord God took the man, put him in a garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, we know for a fact that Adam and Eve didn't die. They lived long after that. But because of their separation from God, then they had to transition. They were transitioned. They were separated from God's presence. They were transitioned out of the Garden of Eden, and they no longer had that direct spiritual connection to God. Now, God still loved them. God still cared about them, but they were no longer connected to him. And this is what Paul writes uh, in the book of Romans, and this is the complete Jewish Bible version. Uh, he writes, here is how it works. It was through one individual that sin entered the world, and through sin, death. And in this way, death passed through to the whole human race inasmuch as everyone sinned. Now, from a Jewish perspective, this is the understanding of how life and death works and how sin came into the world. And this is what Paul communicates uh, to the church in Rome and to us. He says, here's how it works. This is how that process happens. Through one individual, Adam, sin entered the world. And when Adam sinned, then death came in. Death did not exist before then. And in this way, death passed through to the whole human race because everyone from Adam and Eve is born in sin. We're born with that separation from God. And because we're born with that separation from God, every single person that has ever been born was born with a death sentence, an expiration date, a time when you will no longer be alive in this conscious state that we think of, but you'll transition uh, into another conscious state. So let me recap quickly, all right? Death isn't natural. God's original intent when he created humanity wasn't for us to die. We weren't created. Adam and Eve weren't created with an expiration date. They were meant to live forever. But as a consequence of sin, then death came in. The only reason death exists is because of sin. And death is not an end. And the question then is, well, what is death? What happens? And we're going to talk about that a little bit later in the series because every person who has ever been born, when they die, they w transitioned, went, however you want to word it, to one place or another, either to heaven or to hell. That's the only place to transition to after we, what we call, cease to exist in this life or in this realm or whatever you want to call it, uh, we move on to one place or the other. Our soul, just like science says, energy can't be destroyed. It doesn't just disappear. We go to one place or the other. We either go to heaven or we go to hell. Now, here's the other thing. Move back to this. When we do die or someone does die and we, you know, experience that loss, Grief is a natural response to loss. So for me, for example, when my sister transitioned from this life, uh, grief, that, that hurt, that pain, natural response. When my brother transitioned, grief 
natural response. When someone in your family, a friend, a coworker, or whatever, they transition, grief is a very natural response. And I'm reiterating that because there are some people who will step in and say, hey, don't grieve, or you shouldn't grieve, or you should be done grieving, and there's not a single person on the planet that has the right to tell you when you should stop grieving. That's between you and God. It could be for some people days, could be weeks, it could be decades later. And we'll, we'll talk about the, that whole process of grief a little bit more in the series, but no one can say, hey, it should be done now. It's been long enough. And, and here's the thing, and this is, this is Floyd, this is not, and I can't, I mean, I could probably back up from scripture, this is Floyd, but in my opinion, the closer you were, the more you loved them, then obviously the more you're going to miss them and the longer you're going to grieve. Someone, if, if I start working with a coworker and we work together for a week and something tragically happens to them and they pass away, I'm, I'm, I'm going to miss them. And I'm not trying to be cruel, but probably within a couple of weeks, I'm going to be done with that grief. I mean, I'm not going to, but if it's, if it's my wife or one of my kids, decades may go by. I may spend the rest of my life grieving their loss as opposed to someone I just met two or three days ago. Now then again, someone you met two or three days ago, they may impact you in a crazy way and you may grieve them like, why am I still grieving this person I just met days ago or weeks ago? And it depends on how you're connected to them, all right? But no one should be able to step in. Do not allow anyone to step in. You don't have to be rude, you don't have to be whatever, but just let them know, hey, you know what? I'm still grieving. If you can't handle that, not my problem. I'm still grieving. I'm still dealing with it. All right? Now, I want to walk you through um, uh, just, just an example of this in Bible. How many people are familiar with the book of Ruth? Okay, Ruth, uh, many people are familiar with her. I'm going to jump into it, and I'll give you a little background if you're not. Ruth chapter 1, 18 to 21. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women, the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? And what happened was uh, Naomi and her husband and her two sons, they left Bethlehem because of a famine, and they went to Moab, even though God said, hey, don't go to Moab. You shouldn't be in Moab. Uh, it was, a, it, you know, them, some theologians say it was them not trusting God. It was whatever it was. They left. They said, hey, I'm hungry. Got a split. Heading out to Moab, all right? When they got there, over a period of time, Naomi's husband died. Her two sons each married a wife. One married a woman named Orpah, one married a woman named Ruth. But over time, both sons died. So in a period of, I think it's a little over 10 years, every single man who she loved in her circle of influence died. And she was devastated. And she said, you know what? I'm out of Moab. I'm heading back to Bethlehem. And when she went to go back to Bethlehem, both Orpah and Ruth said, hey, we're family. I'm going to go with you. She said, hey, look, you know what? If you come with me, there's nothing I can do for you. Even if I had kids again and they grew up, it's not like you're going to wait for them to marry, you know, wait for them to grow up and then marry them. So you get on with your life. And Orpah said, hey, that's okay. I understand. They hugged. They cried. She said, I'm going to get on with my life. Ruth, on the other hand, said, you know what? Wherever you go, I'm going to go. 
Your people are going to be my people, and your God is going to be my God. And it's not to say that one was wrong and one was right. Orpah, there was absolutely nothing wrong with her saying, hey, okay, I'm going to move on with my life, and you move on with your life. You know, we'll Snapchat, we'll text, we'll keep in touch. Everybody will say, hi, how are you doing? All that good stuff. But Ruth said, you know what? You have so impacted my life that no matter what, I'm coming with you. Whatever we go through, we're going to go through together. It's not that one was right and one was wrong. Just two decisions, two aspects, and the way that things worked out. And when they got to Bethlehem, all the women said, hey, can this be Naomi? They hadn't seen her in like over 10 years. You know, she didn't show up at the high school reunion. They didn't know what she had been doing. And they're like, hey, is this Naomi? And Naomi's response was this. She said, verse 20, don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. And I want you to pay attention to this, because Naomi, when her parents looked at her and she was born, the word Naomi means pleasant. And they looked at her and said, oh, she's so pleasant. Let's just call her pleasant. Or like, you know, people name their children princess or beautiful or whatever. And they said, we're just going to call her pleasant. But Naomi said, don't call me Naomi anymore because my life is no longer pleasant. She said, call me Mara. The word Mara means bitter. And that's the way she looked at her life with complete understanding because she lost her husband and two of her children, both of her only children, died, and she was in sorrow, and she was grieving. But here's where she went a little bit off kilter, because she said, the Almighty has made my life very bitter. That phrase, or that word, Almighty, is the word, the phrase El Shaddai, which means God Almighty. In an essence, she is saying, the Almighty, or El Shaddai, or God who is sovereign over everything, made my life bitter. In other words, God could have stopped this. He's almighty God. Why didn't God step in? She said, I went away full. I went away and I had a husband. I had two kids. But the Lord has brought me back empty. Now I have nothing. And she said, the Lord has afflicted me. The almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Basically what she's saying is everything that happened to me, it's God's fault. God caused this. God didn't stop this. Now, she's understanding. I mean, I, if, if you're in that situation, understand that, yeah, that the pain that we deal with, that's going to be normal. When you lose not just one, but three members of your family, there's going to be pain. There's going to be hurt. That is normal. There's going to be just a, a, an overwhelming amount of, of just unimaginable pain to deal with, that's just normal. Seeking reasons why is normal. Why did this have to happen? Why did, why did my sister have to die? Why did my brother have to die? Why my child? Why my husband? Why my spouse? Why my family member? Why this accident here? Why did this tornado or hurricane have to happen here? Why did this happen? That's all normal. Trying to understand why did this happen and even when it comes to it, blaming God is normal, but it's not okay. It's normal for people to say, why did God allow this to happen? But it's not okay to say God caused this because he didn't. As, and if you, from a theological standpoint, 
something, and I can't, I can't, I mean, I don't know uh, the reason, but some theolo theological, uh, from a theological standpoint, some theologians believe that if they had not gone to Moab, there was something in Moab, if they had trusted God and stayed in Jerusalem, that they would not have died. All we know is they got sick and died. We don't know why. I, I can't say if that's the cause. But one of the things that we do know is that one of the reasons that she went back is because God was providing for his people during this famine in Bethlehem. That's one of the reasons that she went back. Now, we can't pinpoint the reason of why everything happens. In some cases, yeah, uh, there's an accident or, or, or something happens. In the case of my sister, uh, she died of, like, HIV. She died of AIDS. God didn't do that. And, and throughout her life, one of the, the things that bothered her throughout her life was we weren't raised by my birth mother. We knew who she was and had contact with her. We weren't raised by her. And in the back of her head all the time, we had a lot of conversations about it is why doesn't she love us? And in my mind, I'm like, well, if she doesn't, okay, I have someone here who does. In her mind, she was constantly looking for love, uh, which led her into uh, relationships with uh, some of the wrong people. And ultimately led her into a relationship with someone who gave her AIDS. But God didn't cause this problem. God didn't cause them to leave. God didn't cause their children or her children or her husband to die. Now, there are instances where, if you read in the Bible, God's sovereign hand is upon a situation, and it does lead to loss of life. And we're, we're, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But uh, just automatically blaming God for our loss, that's not okay. That's not okay. All right? Now, I want to I show you another instance. In, in the book of 2 Samuel, uh, and many of you guys are familiar with David and Bathsheba. How many people know the history of David and Bathsheba. Yeah. Uh, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And what he had done is he had seen Bathsheba. Uh, he had an affair with a married woman. Uh, when he found out that she was pregnant, uh, he basically sent the husband off and, and basically had him executed, S told the commander, because he was a soldier, said, put him in the front line until he dies and then move everyone back so he's the only one that dies. And, and then uh, Nathan, who was a prophet, came and through God said, hey, what you have done is wrong. And David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. And that phrase put away literally means took that sin because it, it, it had to go. There's a consequence for that. Uh, and it had to go somewhere. So we know theologically that he put it on Jesus, even though that was thousands of years later, he put it on Jesus. But he said, you shall not die. Now, that die, there's, there's two ways of looking at that. One is, there was, according to the law, if you killed someone, then you deserve to die for it. That was God's thing. And, and throughout the Bible, even in the New Testament, that hasn't been repealed. But also, the consequence or the wages of sin is death. So there was a spiritual ramification, meaning you're, again, cut off, separated from God. But what Nathan was saying, hey, because you've been forgiven, you won't be cut off from God nor will you physically experience death. But here's the thing. Even when God forgives us for our sin, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand how many people have sinned, but even when God forgives us for our sin, thank you, Joshua. <laughs> but even when God forgives us for our sin, there is still the consequence, the physical consequence of sin. If I were to kill someone, 
God may forgive me, but I still have to deal with going to jail, being judged, found guilty, being in prison, right? Uh, so he says this, the Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. Verse 14, nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. So basically the prophet says, hey, you're not going to die. God has forgiven you. But it's at the cost of the life of your son. Now this is one instance where God does sovereignly, and, and, and down the word we're going to look at this in detail, because God's actually doing, showing mercy to this child by allowing this child to die. Because if the child had grown up, and if you know the history of David's life uh, 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 with all of his children, they either ended up dead, killing each other, raping one another, or, or fighting with each other. Or being killed by David's army as they tried to rebel against him. This child, and we'll talk about this, immediately, when you die, you go to heaven or hell, this child immediately went into the presence of God. It was spared all of that, all right? Uh, but then the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife, that's Bathsheba, bore to David, and he became sick. And most theologians believe that this child wasn't in a, uh, that it, basically the child was in a coma. Going along with the merciful act of God, it wasn't like the child was uh, riddled with like uh, some horrific, painful disease and an extreme pain. And it also goes along with the next couple of verses. David, therefore, sought God on behalf of the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. Now, uh, most theologians believe if the child had been in extreme pain and crying and whatever all night, that David would have been by his side. As most of us parents would have been, hey, what can I do? Just there holding their hand, trying to comfort it. But they believe that the child was in a coma. And when David lay all night on the ground, there's a thing that the Jewish people do. It's called uh, sitting Shiva. It's basically where they sit or lay on the ground with the understanding that this grieving process that you're going through, you can get no lower than this. This is the lowest that you'll get. So they stay close to the ground, and they just sit, and sometimes they just rock back and forth with one another, all right? And so David, even though his child was alive, uh, he was going through this grieving process because he knew the outcome. Even though he was begging God, please don't take my child. Even though he was begging God, please heal my child. He was going through this grieving process to where he just lay all night fasting and praying. And then the elders of the house stood beside him to raise him from the ground. But he would not, but he would not nor did he eat food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him, The child is dead? Now, excuse me, just like don't let anyone tell you that, hey, you should be over your grieving process. That's, that's, that's only you know when you're done grieving. At the same token, understand that sometimes when we're coming to you and we're asking and inquiring, are you okay? It's not that we're trying to rush you through your grieving process. We just want to make sure that you're okay because some people grieve so hard that they go into a state of depression and they do harm themselves. They do do horrible things while experiencing grief over the loss of a loved one. And you should... Ask people, hey, are you okay? I'm going to respect if you're still grieving, but I want you to respect why I'm asking. Not because I'm trying to force you through this process. It's because I care about you. I want to make sure you're okay. I want to be there for you, and I want to encourage you. 
Now, when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, is the child dead? And they said, he is dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. He then went to his own house, and when he asked, they set food before him, and he ate. Now, I want to pay careful attention, and I'm not saying that this is the law, this is the way you're supposed to do it, but David got up. Once he was through grieving, he got up, he washed and anointed himself, he changed his clothes, he began to move on, and then he went and worshipped God. The same God that lots of people blame, the same God that he had every right to say, hey, God, you're the one who took my child, but he knew it was a consequence of his own sin. And I'm not saying that's the case in every situation, but in David's situation, he knew. And he went and he worshiped God. And then he went to go eat. And there's a reason that he worshiped God first. It's that he was looking for comfort and peace that no human being can give. And he wrote Psalm 51 um, out of this whole process. Now, grief is a natural response to loss. Grief is a natural response to loss. But we also need comfort. And when he wrote Psalm 51, this is what he wrote. Oh, excuse me. Grief is a natural response, but not moving on with your life is not natural. Even if I'm grieving years later, that doesn't mean I should still be in the room, not eating, not talking, not working. You can still move on with your life while you're grieving, and you're always going to carry, especially if it's someone you cared about and you love, you're always going to carry that loss with you, but it shouldn't stop you from moving on with your life. You can grieve and still move on with your life. And granted, it could be years later, decades later, a lifetime later, and you're still grieving. And I know because I've talked to people who are at the, you know, senior citizen age of, what's a good way to say that? I don't want to say older. Um, they're, they're, they're older. Okay, thank you. I was waiting for an older person to say, never mind. Okay. Wow. I'm going to move on. But you can be at that point. And they still look back at like decades ago when they lost a family member still with them. They're still moving on with their life, but they're still grieving. They're still hurting. They still feel a loss from it, but they haven't let it stop them from moving on with their life. And here's what David wrote uh, in Psalm 51. He wrote, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, transgressions being what he did uh, to Uriah and what he did with Bathsheba. He said, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Your judgment of calling him wrong and saying that, you know, I'm guilty, all good, God. That's right. But then he writes this, but let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. And then he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. In other words, God, you know what? I know I did wrong. I know there are consequences. I know I'm dealing with the loss. I know my, my, my son is gone, 
but I want to get back to living again, being in your presence again, and experiencing joy and gladness again. And that's what God seeks to do for us. God seeks to comfort us when we go through stuff like that. Now, I want to share with you uh, really quickly two, two, two more, two more um, instances of people going with that. How many are familiar with the story of Job? Job lost literally everything, all right? Job chapter 2, verse 11, 13. When Job's three friends heard of all this evil that was come upon him, and the evil was he lost his children, all of them, like none survived. Uh, he lost his business. He lost his wealth. And the person who was supposed to be his number one cheerleader, his number one encourager, did not believe in him. And basically said, hey, this is your fault. Just curse God and die. And that was his wife. And when his friends heard all this evil that was come upon him, they came, each one from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, and Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite. For they had made an appointment together to come to condole with him and to comfort him. Right? And that word condole literally means to grieve with him. His friends said, hey, he's going through outrageous loss. We're just going to go, and we're going to grieve with him, and this is what they did. When they looked from afar off and saw him disfigured, because not only did he go through all that, but his body was covered in boils. So he went through the loss of his family, his wife not encouraging him, lost his business, lost his finances, everything, and then his body was racked with boils, and they so much so that he was disfigured beyond recognition. They lifted up their voices and wept, and each one tore his robe, and they cast dust over their heads toward the heaven. So they sat down with Job on the ground for seven days and seven nights, and none spoke a word to him, for they saw that his grief and his pain were great. Basically, they came to him. They didn't say, hey, it's going to get better. They didn't say, uh, 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 you know, everything's going to be all right. They didn't even say, we're here for you. They just came and sat with him. That word seven is the Hebrew word shiva, which is where they get the term, sitting shiva. And they just sat with him for seven days just to be there for him, just to comfort him. And that's what God does for us. When we're grieving, when we're going through this loss process, that's what David was crying out for. God, I need your presence again to comfort me through this time. And that's what they did for Job. Now, there's one other thing I want to share with you. Uh, there's a video uh, that we're going to show in a minute. And it's all about that song we just sang, It Is Well With My Soul. And I don't know if you guys remember, but the, the guy who wrote this song went through amazing loss. Went through all kinds of trials, lost his family, lost his business overall over a literal, like real earth world. I mean, uh, Job is a real person that really happened to him. But this is in a time frame where, where we can understand. And he went through this amazing loss. So, uh, guys, if you have the video ready. Horatio Spafford was a well-known lawyer and businessman in Chicago in the 1860s, where he lived with his wife Anna and their five children. He had invested heavily in real estate along the shores of Lake Michigan. He was a prosperous man and a devout Christian. However, in 1870, a series of events began to turn Horatio's world upside down. That year, Horatio and Anna's only son died of scarlet fever, 
at the tender age of only four. A year later, while the Spaffords were still grieving the loss of their son, the Great Chicago Fire broke out and destroyed nearly every one of Horatio's investments. His entire life savings was gone. Aware of the toll these disasters had taken on his family, Horatio decided to take his wife and four daughters on a holiday to England where they planned to accompany the famous evangelist D.L. Moody on his next crusade. However, just before they set sail, a last-minute business development forced Horatio to delay. Not wanting to ruin the family holiday, he persuaded his family to go on as planned, and he would follow along later. With this decided, Horatio stayed in Chicago while Anna and the girls boarded the French steamship Ville du Havre to set sail for England. But several days later, Horatio received devastating news. The Ville du Havre had been struck by an iron sailing vessel from England. The ship sank in only 12 minutes, claiming the lives of 226 passengers. It was the worst disaster in naval history until the sinking of the HMS Titanic 40 years later. The next day, he received a telegraph from Anna from Wales. It read these six words, Survived alone, what should I do? The Spafford's four daughters were among those who perished. After hearing the terrible news, Horatio boarded the next ship out of New York to join his bereaved wife. During his voyage, the captain of the ship called him to the bridge. A careful reckoning has been made, he said, and I believe we are now passing the very place where the Ville du Havre sank. And it was there, while staring into the watery grave of his beloved daughters, that Horatio penned the words to the great hymn, It is well soul. Generally, when we're singing songs, especially we sing it like we sang it this morning with drums and tempo, we don't generally let the words impact us. But if you're not familiar with the, the words, I, I honestly don't believe he wrote this song out of a place of pain and anguish, but out of the peace and comfort that God gave him in the midst of overwhelming tragedy. 
And he wrote, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And he writes, no matter whether, whether Satan's coming at you, whether trial should come, in spite of the sin that I have, uh, all things considered, God's peace, God's comfort are what's going to make it okay for me to face another day. So here's what I want to do. I want to sing this song uh, one more time as we close. But before we do that, I'm going to ask everyone to just stand for a moment. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to do anything. I'm just ask everyone to bow their heads. And if, if you have experienced loss, whether it been, you know, years ago, decades ago, months ago, if you've experienced that pain and that grief of missing a loved one, then I want to pray right now that God's overwhelming peace and overwhelming comfort would just envelop you right now that his spirit would speak to your heart so that we can say, despite the loss, despite missing the loved one, that literally it is well. My soul is okay because of God's amazing grace and comfort. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God, that's our prayer this morning, that for every single person that is still grieving or in the future will grieve the loss of a family member, a friend, or a loved one, that you would comfort us through that process. And that although we may continue to carry that loss, that we would also continue to live our lives to love you, to receive your love, to share and show the love of Christ to others, to be able to be there for other people who are grieving and to let them know that there is a God that loves them and wants to comfort them as they go through that process. That we may all say it is well with our soul. God, we thank you and we pray that you would bless us as we go. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Amen. amen.